I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. For those who have been attending, yes, I said chapter 6. There is something after chapter 5. Although I don't want to move forward, we have barely touched what's there. But this morning we we roll into chapter 6, but as we, just because the editors have chosen to to change the number of the chapter, the content that we look at continues to be connected to everything that we've been saying for the last couple of months as we've uh, been working through uh, this letter. Um, if you recall, what, what Paul has been doing in this portion of the letter is he, for three chapters, he unfolded the extravagant grace of God in Jesus Christ. And now, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is instructing those who have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places, those in Christ who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with him in the heavenlies, chapter 1, then chapter 2, and those who have been incorporated into the heavenly family of God and, and made to be his temple presence on earth, chapter 3, right? Now he's instructing us, well, how do we live out this amazing new identity and mission that we are part of in Christ. What, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we flesh out this new identity? And so for, since chapter 4, he's been talking to us about how to grow and how to mature and to go from children uh, and to grow into mature adults following Jesus Christ as we put off the old man and put on the new man. And within the church of Christ, as, as we are doing this, we, we manifest the sacrificial love of Christ to us that led him to the cross. We, we manifest that in the way that we respond to God, in the way that we respond to one another, and the way that we respond to the world. That we walk in his love, that we walk in his light, that we walk in his wisdom, And that we walk in his spirit. Now, what he started discussing in terms of how do you know when a church is walking in the spirit? How do you know when a church is walking in in the wisdom of Christ? How do you know when a church is walking in his light and, 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 and being that light in a world that is in darkness. How do you know when, when, a, when a church is, is living out and fleshing the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ? How do you know these things? Well, he said there, there is going to be um, a fellowship that is marked by singing and worship, a fellowship with one another and a fellowship with God where, where, where that fellowship is, is sweet as manifested in the way that we talk to one another within the rhythms and the words of, of poetry itself and the way that we interact with God through worship and singing as we manifest a, a gratitude in all things. And he lastly has said, when we live 
in a mutual submission to one another. When we learn to purposefully choose to interact with every other relationship we have in a way that reflects Christ, where we treat others better than ourselves. And what we have been doing in here is looking at the way that this plays itself out in the church, how it plays itself out uh, in marriage. That leadership in the church, leadership in the home, is to be marked by the humility and sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Where we learn to consider others better than ourselves so that husbands love their wives that way. Wives uh, respond to their husbands that way. Church leaders, that's how we lead in the church, through humility, through sacrificial loving service, counting others more important than ourselves. He continues all of this as he now moves from the relationship of within the church the relationship between husband and wife, to now the relationship in the home between children and parents. So let's read this morning. I'm going to actually begin, I'm going to read from chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, and then we'll read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as we approach these words, we can be so tempted to to see them as ideas for us to consider rather than hearing them as instructions that we are not only called, but that we have been enabled to embrace by faith and to embody in love. Help us as a church to to purposefully strive to cultivate that covenant identity, that heavenly reality that is a blessing and a gift in Christ that we have not merely as individuals in the faith, 
but that we have as, as those who have been incorporated into your body, who have been made children as part of your family. Help us, we pray, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, what the Apostle Paul has been trying to instill in us through this section of Ephesians is that the very gospel that has given us new life in Jesus Christ, that that gospel is to not only be embraced by faith, it is to be embodied and it is to be extended in all of our different relationships in such a way that reflects the relationship God has with us in Jesus Christ. This, when we talk about salvation as God's people, we're not just simply talking about that God has done something to give us an escape from condemnation. He has done that, but he has done so much more. He has made us part of something. He has drawn us into his family. He has drawn us through this union with Christ that he unfolded for three chapters. He has drawn us into a participation in the life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what you and I get to do as those who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies is embody those heavenly realities as ambassadors here on earth. And what Paul has been saying is if we're going to do that as a church, and if you're going to do that as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's, it's going to be because, one, we're cultivating that with God himself, and, two, that we are actively, purposefully culting, cultivating that with one another. Here, in your marriages, in your home. Lord willing, we'll get to society next week. But these are different contexts in which your participation in the eternal existence and relationship and purposes of the triune God get fleshed out so that people can see, so that people can hear, so that people can experience these realities of God as, as we, his people, embody them for others to experience. In the home, we, we have this very specific, particular privilege of being part of these redemptive purposes of God that he has been administrating through by way of covenant from the very beginning of creation. Where God has a purpose and he is going to achieve his purpose and where he invites and draws others into that purpose, doing so not merely as individuals, but even drawing families together in order to embody something that is new and something that is different. In chapter 2, Paul was very clear that all of us, 
because of our first father, Adam, we all fell in sin and we were all dead in our sins and trespasses. We were all without hope. We were all cut off from God. And then he goes further in chapter 2 into speaking specifically to the Gentile believers. That's the overwhelming majority of you and me in this room where he says, you guys were not just cut off from God and in terms of your sin, you were cut off from the covenants. You were cut off from scripture. You were cut off from the ministry of the priesthood, from the tabernacle, from the temple, from the sacrifices. You were without God and without hope. But Christ. He has drawn us into this. And as his people, we now live and exist as those who don't just say you know, to ourselves or to say to one another that, that I have been freed in Jesus Christ. We, we live this out, we flesh this out in our home in our marriages, and in the relationship between parents and children. What an amazing reality to be able to set the gospel before our children and to set the covenant identity before our children and to be able to say to our children, we were once slaves. We were once those who were, who were captured. We were once those who, who had to serve to the point of death. But God, but God, but God he changed all of this. And he drew us out. And he washed us. And he made us his children and has given us a new hope that has been accomplished in Jesus Christ and in tokens of which have been granted to to promote the guarantee of these realities in things like water, bread, and a cup. And this is the new identity we have as a family. We, We get to say to our kids, We get to tell our kids, you are not like those who who grow up without God. You are not like those who, who grow up distanced from the promises of God. You are not like those who grow up not being able to to see the body of Christ, to be a part of its work to experience the love that is found there, to hear the Word of God read, to hear it preached, to see the Word of God made tangible in the sacraments, to to get to, to see older, mature disciples of Jesus, to get to see them go through life trusting God, and you get to hear them pray. Oh my goodness, what joy is there to be as a child of the covenant to to go to a prayer meeting and hear an older, mature saint pray. This is the heritage of our children. 
Does this mean that they are regenerate by nature of being members of the covenant? No. Does this mean that they don't have to exercise personal faith in Christ? Well, of course they do. Are they called to repent and to believe? Absolutely. But they do so as those with a covenant privilege to be raised around the means of grace that God uses to bring those realities about. And what Paul here is reminding us is that one of the means that he uses is parents. And so I want to talk to the kids really quick. If you're a child, and for guys, that means if you're under 30, No, but I want to see the children's faces. You have a privilege to be near and around the things of God. And you get to experience his love as those in the church love you. And what God asks of you is that you respond by obeying your parents. You will not obey your parents perfectly. But even as you are trying to obey, as you are striving to learn what does obedience look like, and as you become very aware, oh, I didn't obey there. Mm. Right? You are discovering the need you have for the gift that God gives in Jesus Christ. And so look to Jesus Christ. As you are aware that you need him, Call out to him. Because one of the things that was re- is revolutionary, children, is that Jesus Christ completely changed the culture of how people are supposed to relate to children. In the Near East, at the time in which these things were being written, children were not valued. Children were seen as as existing in order to accomplish something for their parents, and especially the dads. Do you know that at the time in which this was written, a dad could treat you the same way that he would treat a slave? He could be authoritarian, which means that he could be really heavy-handed, and mean, and, and you were expected to do what he said. What Jesus did, even as the disciples thought Jesus didn't want to be bothered by children, Jesus has said to the children, come to me. 
and to the adults, what Jesus has said to us is if you get in the way, either by way of keeping them from him, if you get in the way by putting a stumbling block before them, if you get in the way of of cultivating or somehow communicating to children that, that Jesus doesn't want them coming to him, he says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and for you to be cast into the ocean. Jesus completely changed the culture of how the relationship between adult and child worked. And what the Apostle Paul is, is doing is calling us here in Ephesians as he speaks to, to people who have come out of the Gentile world. As he is saying, the way that Jesus reoriented how we look at and how we interact with children, this is to happen in the home. So children, you, you are called to obey. You're called to obey as those who are part of something really big. God's love in Christ. He wants you to believe in Jesus and he wants you to practice obedience in the home. The Apostle Paul, as he unfolds this, notice he says there's a promise. We can't go into all of what's here, by the way. Paul cites the fifth, co- the, 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 the fifth commandment. And he does so citing very specifically, word for word, the Septuagint or the Greek translation of Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. It was a hinge commandment. And by hinge, what I mean is that it was a commandment that, that on one hand was directed towards God, even while on the other hand it was directed towards earthly parents, earthly authorities. It was a transition in the commandments where the first four clearly are what we owe to God and, and, and as the, the last five are clearly what we owe to our neighbor, the fifth commandment, as we honor our father and our mother, it is a commandment that, that we render to God as we render to our parents. And so it is focused in both of those places, and there was, there was a promise attached. In the Old Covenant, the promise attached to that was that if you wanted to live in the blessings, the earthly blessings, the earthly blessings, the earthly blessings of the covenant, when Israel got into the promised land, if they wanted to enjoy those earthly blessings, and if they wanted to be able to remain there, if they wanted to experience God's protection, God's power, God's provisions, safety from enemies, children, farmland that is spilling over with harvest, if they wanted to experience those things that, that there was to be an obedience, there was to be a, a respect towards authority that was to be at the, the center and the foundation of how the Old Covenant society functioned. So in the home, in the church, in society, respect for authority. What Paul does here in the New Covenant is he takes that language 
but seems to be disconnecting it from the, the old covenant earthly type and shadow and connecting it to, to the realities of Christ himself that if there is, if you want to experience in Christ these, these, uh, these blessings uh, that, that Christ has for his people, that practicing respect and honor is going to be essential. And more specifically, if within the home, if, if the home is going to be a home marked by, by those who, are, uh, who have embraced and are bodying Christ and who are walking in the Spirit, there will be an order in the home. It won't be chaotic. That there is a blessing to be experienced as we cultivate a respect for authority. Even as authority, we have been told here, is being told to cultivate a humility towards those that it leads. There is no doubt that words like Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 can be really difficult for, for people. Not all of us have grown up with really good relationships with our earthly fathers. Not all of us have grown up with really good relationships with our earthly mothers. Many of us have experienced broken homes. Many of us have experienced heavy-handed fathers. Some of us have experienced absent fathers. And that can create a challenge and a, and a difficulty for us as God's people. As we've been talking about in Sunday school with the Lord's Prayer, with, with this in the opening invocation of praying to God as our Father, And as Paul is, is saying back in chapter 3 of, of Ephesians, there is this fatherliness that is part of who God is that God has built into the world that he has made. And just as sin has corrupted everything, sin has even corrupted the concept of fatherliness. And so some get to experience earthly fathers and, and have good experiences, some don't. But the reality here that, that, that the Apostle Paul is impressing upon us is regardless of if your experience has been good or your experience has been awful, there is a new fatherly relationship that you have because of union with Jesus Christ. This call for children to Obey parents, by the way, is a call, just like the call for wives to submit to husbands, just like the call for church members to submit to, to elders. It is a call that is limited by what the scripture teaches. Elders cannot demand things from church that Jesus hasn't demanded. Husbands can't demand things of their wives that Jesus hasn't demanded. And parents 
it is really important that we maintain that doctrine of liberty of conscience even as we are relating to our kids. And that we work and strive to set God before our kids and not our whims, not our preferences. Because notice what Paul goes on to say. Children, obey their parents. Fathers, nourish your children. The role of father in the home, notice here, is that he is to be a nurturer. The word nourish, or the, the word here in the ESV, uh, where, where they say that you, to raise your child up, it literally is the word nourish. And it's the exact same word that was used in 529, where Paul said, no one hates his own flesh, but nourishes it as Christ nourishes the church. The role that a husband has in nourishing his wife as a reflection and as a participation in the way Jesus nourishes the church. Dads, you have a call to nourish your children. Your leadership in the home, your headship in the home is a headship carried out in the humility of Jesus Christ. So that, as Paul says, you, you raise them up, you nourish them on what Christ has said. Paul says here on discipline and instruction in the ESV. It's literally two different words for instruction. It, it literally lead, reads that, in, that they are to be nourished on instruction and instruction. Instruction that is positive in terms of the training aspect of here's, here's what you are to pursue in life as you are growing as a person, as you are growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. Here are the positive instructions set before us to help us grow. But here are the instructions that are warnings as well. I think Paul very clearly has the Great Commission in mind as he is thinking through this issue that we are, as the people of God, as we go out and as we are going along the way, we take our children and we teach them what Jesus has commanded. Everything. Played out typologically in Deuteronomy 6 finding a greater fulfillment in Ephesians 6. We take what Christ has done for us and what he communicates to us, and that is what we feed our children with. And that's going to include telling them, here are things to pursue. And here are some good ways to pursue those things. It's also going to include, don't pursue that. It's going to include, here are some good things to pursue, but don't pursue it that way. It's going to require wisdom. It's going to require humility. 
It's going to require having a, a perspective in which the, the, the authority and calling that I have as a dad is carried out as a reflection of what I experience from God, my Father. Notice he says, don't do this in a way that makes your kids angry. Our discipleship of our children is not just informational, it is relational. And the relationship itself is a manifestation of what you have in Christ with your Heavenly Father. Now I want want you to think about that for a second. What do you experience from your Heavenly Father in Christ? Do you come to church perfectly ready to worship perfectly? No. Does he spiritually jerk you by the arm, pull you to the side, and get in your face? Or does he set bread in a cup in front of you and say, I know your struggles, so my son was broken for you and his, his blood was poured out for you because I know your struggles. I know your dust. I know that you still have the corruption of sin that is present in your life. It's powerless. There's no penalty, but it's still there, and I know that. What did God do with Israel in the history of the Old Covenant? How quickly did they turn to the other gods as they were warned not to do in Deuteronomy 6? And how long did God walk with them anyway, living and dwelling with them in the land? How long until he finally allowed the enemies to come in and overrun the northern kingdom? How long until he allowed the enemies to come in and draw his southern kingdom out of the land and take them into Babylon? How often, how frequently? Not very. How frequently do we tend to respond with aggression, towards our kids, either emotionally, psychologically, or actually physically, when they aren't doing what we think they ought to do, when they're not doing what they should not be doing. How frequently do kids in especially certain Reformed churches that truly, rightfully acknowledge worship as the writer of Hebrews says, to be offered with reverence and awe. But how many times can a kid come into a service like that and and be a kid and and have an adult turn around and give them a dirty look 
our church in Charleston had this awesome idea, they thought, when they built a new sanctuary. We're going to build an acoustic building. We're going to make one that looks like it's part of historic Charleston, and we're going to build one that functions like historic Charleston because they got kind of excited about history. And I get very excited about history, so I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that negatively. But you know what comes with an acoustic building? <laughs> Sound. <laughs> Noise. You know what happens when you put hard pews in an acoustic building? All you have to do is, is put your pen down just a little heavy. And guess what everyone hears? And they hear it multiple times because it echoes. And I can't tell you how many times a, a, a covenant child, part of the family of God, who is needing to be encouraged to embrace the gospel by faith and, and to, to understand the grace of God, they would come to his presence in the service and receive scowls and mean words. And arms jerked behind their backs. I had at the church on Lookout Mountain where they were practicing soft pedo communion. I had a dad that would take his five-year-old that the session before I got there had already admitted to the supper. This dad would take this five-year-old out into my office during the service and spank them and then bring them back and put them before the supper. What do you think that was doing in the development of that child? What do you think he was associating with the Lord's Supper? At that church, there was, when I first got there and I walked into my office, on, on the bookshelves that were empty at the time, immediately to the left, there were all these different things. And there was this long, cylindrical, plastic-looking thing. I wasn't sure what it was. And I was like, what's this? Oh, it's a glue stick. Oh, okay. Why are these things on, on, on my bookshelves? Well, because this is where parents bring children during the worship service to spank them. And there was a morning during Sunday school, and I often would keep the light off in my robe over the window <laughs> if I didn't want anyone to know I was in there. And a mother brought a child in. And this was not a rebellious child. But apparently he had made a little bit too much noise brought them in, and, and the way that it worked was you would go into the office and then you'd go through another door into my part of the office. And the walls were paper thin. And what I heard was a whack and then God loves you. A whack. I love you. A whack. God loves you. I love you. What do you think that did? 
And I was too much of a coward to step out and stop it. Beloved, that is not the way you and I experience God's fatherly love for us. God with us is patient. And he's kind. He knows we're dust. He knows our frame. He is gentle. And the way you live out your fatherhood with your children is to be a reflection not only of God's truth, but also of the way God embodies his own truth as he relates to you according to that truth. Our children are special and they are called to, to, obey, their, to obey their parents in the Lord. But parents, and especially dads, this doesn't mean that you have carte blanche authority to demand, to be cruel, to be harsh. Spanking should not happen in a split second. It is a tool. It is a tool in the toolbox. But how often did God spank Israel? So infrequently. Sometimes what happens is we get lazy. And we go to it because we can point to a verse and can say, I'm loving my kid. Sometimes what you're doing is just being lazy. Let me rephrase. Sometimes when I did it, I was just being lazy because I didn't want to actually shepherd my child. I just wanted to express a little frustration. By the way, you get a positive chemical release in your brain when you do that. Just like you get that same positive chemical release in the brain when you tell somebody off. You get that when you spank out of frustration. This doesn't mean don't spank. But beloved, we have to manifest the patient love of God in Christ and be slow and to be careful and to make sure that we are clearly setting the right things before our children. In doing so in a way that reflects who we are and what we have in Christ. When I was not married, did not have kids, was not even thinking about those things, I read Francis Schaeffer's book, True Spirituality, and he has this, this statement in there that just blew my socks off. Schaefer says, my child is my fellow creature created on my own level. 
I am not intrinsically higher than he is. For a certain number of years, there is to be this other relationship of office, meaning parent to child. There is going to be that for a time, but I am never to forget as I look at my child, even when I hold that child in my arms, that that child is a creature created on my own level. And more than this, if he becomes a believer while he is my minor child, I must not forget that then he is not only my fellow creature, he is my brother in Jesus Christ. Even when you hold that new infant in your arms and they are completely dependent upon you for everything, and you experience that love, but also that fear. I've got to care for this thing now. What you are holding there is someone of equal value to yourself. And so it is absolutely vital that as we long to, to walk in the Spirit as families in our marriages and in the way that children relate to their parents, it is absolutely essential that we keep our doctrine in front of us at all times. We mutually express the image of God. And when our child comes to know Christ, we equally are co-heirs of the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. Is this how you see your children? Beloved, what Paul is telling us here is that as we embrace the gospel and as we embody that gospel and as we extend that gospel, we do so in the context of relationships that reflect his relationship with us. And so as someone who is dear to this congregation has written, in this season of old age, I don't fret as much about what I don't see. I increasingly wait and watch with anticipation, knowing that God is moving his story in my life and in those I pray for. And at the proper pace that he wants, to accomplish his predetermined purpose. Prayerfully waiting stretches my trust in the Lord and my love for the ones I am discipling. Jesus writes long redemption stories. His stories are good and true and beautiful. His stories are full of wonder, of eternal After a uh, a book fair in which there was just tons of books on parenting, and some of the authors were there, someone made the quip, parents of young children want to write books about parenting, grandparents Write books about prayer. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we are not worthy of your love, and yet you purposefully chose to set your love on us in Christ, setting it upon us before you even created the world, setting your heart upon us, taking us to yourself, and arranging all things that would be needed to accomplish the desires of your heart within our lives and within our histories. Lord, you have been playing the long game. But so often we as parents play the short. We get frustrated with our children because they act like children. We struggle with their immaturity because so often, Lord, we ourselves are still so much more immature than we think. We can be short-sighted. We can be impulsive emotionally. Especially when we, we make the mistake of thinking that, that our children's obedience is somehow a statement about how good of a parent I am. Or when we place the, the opinions of others at church above the relationship that we have with our kids, when we are harsh with them because we think someone else might look down on our child or when we think that they might look down on us. And so, Lord, help us to repent of these things and to rest in Christ and to cultivate within ourselves and to nourish within ourselves your patient, gentle, eternal, long-suffering love, your care, your purposes, and may we rest in them as we strive to reveal you to our kids, revealing you as you have revealed yourself in your word, revealing you as we sit with them and teach them the, the truths of scripture, revealing you as we sing with them, revealing you when we take them to church, but also revealing you when it is time to correct. Revealing you when what they need is the same thing that you give us on a daily basis. And so fill us with your grace that we, empowered by your grace, would be conduits of that to our kids. And Lord, help our kids. They are so surrounded by a culture of disrespect, dishonor, radical individualism. Protect them and nourish them through the efforts that we make as parents, through the efforts we make as a church. But work supernaturally, Lord, for we need you, for without you we have nothing. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.